Well, good morning, class. This is the first week of school, and I thought, you know what, in keeping with that theme, we're going we're gonna to learn some great things today. As a matter of fact, I want you to like, turn your brain on full power. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I would consider is the single most important passage in the entire Bible. We're going to look at a, at a single word today that I would say is the most crucial word of consequence in the Bible. It is used sparingly. It's only used four times in the Bible, probably because of the density of the power of this word. Uh, what, what's the saying? Uh, a picture paints a thousand words. This word, it has been the inspiration for thousands of pictures. Here's the word. Propitiation. Propitiation. Uh, you're gonna, we're going to have a test next week. You're going to have to spell that word. <clears throat> It's taken me a while this week. I've spelled it several times, several different ways, as a matter of fact. Let's say that out loud. Let's say that. Propitiation. Here's a passage, one of the four passages that it's in. This is the passage that I'm saying is central to understanding all of creation. The righteousness of God is made known through the faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who puts his faith in Jesus. What then becomes of boasting? It is excluded. The Bible is a single story. It tells the story of creation. It starts with the way things were meant to be and what went wrong and what God did to fix things to make it well, and then finally how things will ultimately be concluded. This passage right here is an essential summary of that entire storyline. You won't find a more succinct description of why all things exist than right here. All roads lead to this paragraph. Extremely powerful, life transforming, and maybe too deep for us in just a few minutes. So I'm going to pray that we might be able to understand and fast forward. <laughs> Join me. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, this passage of Scripture, uh, it seems that all of Holy Writ was, was written so that we could understand this one thing, and I'd ask that you would help our hearts and minds be open to what that means in the cosmos, in all of creation, but also in our own lives and how to apply it. Help us be able to grasp the levels of depth this word propitiation is. Help us to understand all that it is required and how that can transform our lives and change our very souls. Just a touch of that today. We'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have to take this one step at a time, at a time because of, you know, the, the fullness of this passage. And we're going to, we'll start, before we can get to the word propitiation, we'll have to start with the idea of justification and the word righteousness is used throughout this passage. And it, you need to know in Greek, it's the exact same word. And we have nuances of meaning in English. There is a difference between justification and righteousness. I'm going to be flipping these words back and forth because in the Greek, it does reflect that it's the same word. Simply, you could say that justification is making a person righteous. To be justified is to be made righteous. So, 
What does righteousness mean? Well, for this, just for the day, for the sake of understanding uh, what we'll be looking at in, in what I'll be emphasizing, think of righteousness as uh, a validating performance record, a validating performance record that opens an opportunity for you, a validating performance record that gives you an open door to some opportunity, right? A simple description of, of a performance record, right? This righteousness would be uh, a resume. You're, you're going in, you're looking at an opportunity to be employed, and you fill that resume with the things, your education, your, your experience, and some things that you feel is, is uh, advantageous to this employer, and you say, this is, this, is, this, is what I'm, this is my righteousness, this is my justification for saying this, these doors should swing open to me. This is my justification for you hiring me. I should have an opportunity. Uh, I should gain access because of this righteousness. Okay, now, in the context of the Bible we're looking at, we're saying, okay, this is a validation of performance record to open the door and gain access to heaven. Absolutely. This righteousness that we're talking about gives you access to heaven. But infinitely more important for our discussion today, which is what I want you to learn today, is it opens the door to a relationship with God Almighty. It's not just heaven. It gains access to the creator and the maker of all things. And this righteousness that we're talking about in this passage, it's not even ours. It's not that we earn it. It is a gift based on the grace of God. That's why it says that in verse 22. It says, the righteousness of God is made known through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe all are justified or made righteous, right? By his grace as a gift. Grace as a gift. It's just given to us. We'll look more details in just a minute, but the power of this, this idea that we're looking at today, that this righteousness, this gift from God, the power is found in this equation, this truth, that the gift of God's righteousness is infinitely greater than simple forgiveness. The gift of God's righteousness that we're referring to in this Romans passage is infinitely greater than simple righteousness. When people say, I've been justified by grace, I, I'm, I'm forgiven, that's true, <laughs> but there's, there's so much more because the concept of forgiveness gets us, uh, right, uh, gets us to like break even. What I want you to hear today is the concept of righteousness, the righteousness of God that is given to us as a gift, it's infinitely more. Let me give you some illustrations for this. In the context of indebtedness, right? I think everyone, most everyone in the room, if you were a million dollars in debt, it would cause great turmoil in your life. Sleepless nights, you'd be in panic, the phone calls, the doors being knocked upon, how, do, how am I going to possibly pay this back? And then you are forgiven of that debt, you would be thrilled. You'd be at zero. And zero is the new rich. You'd be, you'd be fired up with that, right? That's forgiveness. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is when you go back to your account and someone has placed $35 million in that account, more money than you could imagine spending in a couple of lifetimes. That's righteousness. In the context of shame, Forgiveness could be looked upon as, let's say you're in the military, and in the, in the context of combat, you desert your unit. And so now you're being brought up on charges of desertion. And forgiveness would be they drop the charges, and not only that, 
they, they don't leave you with a dishonorable discharge. They just leave you alone and let you go. You'd be very happy about being forgiven in the context of that shame, but that's not righteousness. Righteousness is when you find yourself being called to the Oval Office and they're putting a, gold, or a blue ribbon around your neck and you're getting the Medal of Honor. That's the honor attached as compared to the shame that was negated. In, in the subject of power, right? Uh, forgiveness would be able to, if you were receive forgiveness, and you would give you the ability to have the power to forgive, let's say, family members, some of you from difficult families, and, and members are very cruel to you. And forgiveness would give you the power to, like, disconnect, right, the wires between what they say and your soul. It wouldn't hurt or wouldn't hurt as much. Forgiveness could bring you that. But righteousness, oh, it could give you the ability to love them, sincerely love the people that are trying to destroy you in ways that only they would know. Now, let's look at this in the context of our conversation, the righteousness of God. Remember, righteousness is, is, is this certificate that allows us to have an open door in our relationship with God. So forgiveness, forgiveness from God would be like this. You know what? Let's, it's done. It's taken care of. You're free. Run along. And then, I mean, you just come out of this cage like a golden retriever puppy, right? Boom, I'm out of here. That's forgiveness. This is righteousness. He doesn't say, go, you're free. He says, no, no, no. You come here. You climb up here. I want you to enjoy my love and my presence for eternity. That's infinitely better than forgiveness. I'm not suggesting forgiveness isn't a bad thing. I'm just saying this righteousness, it's different. It's life-changing, and it's not even ours. It's not even, he's not even talking about our righteousness. Look what he says in verse 22, okay? He says, the righteousness of God has been made known through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, and we are justified, we are made righteous by his grace as a gift. This righteousness is, is not, it's not like he's made us righteous. He, it's, not even, it's not the righteousness from God, it's the righteousness of God. This is what's on our resume. This is what we put on there. This is the thing that's at the top. What do you have here? The righteousness of God. Where'd you get that? It was a gift, you know, by faith. So forgiveness gets us out of, uh, out of debt, gives, gives us an expression of shamelessness. It gives us uh, a limited amount of power. But this gift of the righteousness of God, it has the power to absolutely alter the essence of our souls. When, let me, again, this righteousness of God. When God looks at you, he doesn't, he doesn't look at you all cleaned up. Okay, in the Bible, righteousness is used sometimes as a descriptive term. You should be a righteous father, a righteous judge, you know, a righteous something, right? That's not what he's talking about, you cleaned up. This is the righteousness of God covering you. When he looks into your face, he doesn't see you new and improved. He sees the eyes of Jesus the Christ his only begotten son. That's infinitely different and better. 
how can this happen? Not, not the part where you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, it's, and in that promise, right? I'm talking like, like logically, cosmically, how can God do this? How can he like, get away with this? This is the dilemma of the entire Bible story. Can God do anything he wants? No, he cannot. And this is one of the things he cannot do. He cannot turn a blind eye to rebellion and insubordination and injustice. He can't. He can't be anything but just. And so he, he, he can't just allow injustice to go, you know, un, undealt with, right? Or, it has to be acknowledged and paid for. There's, there's bills to be paid. And here's the bigger, what's happening here, again, in the bigger picture. Demons, angels, all of creation would, if, if he were to just hand out righteousness like this, give it away for free, angels and demons, all of creation would say, they would charge God Almighty with contempt of justice. They could say, that's not fair. They would say, that's wrong. You can't do that. If you love, you must be just. Because the people who suffer from injustice, they, they want to see something happen here. And if, if there's no justice, then there's no love. So how does God do it? How does it work? Propitiation. That's how it works. Propitiation is the means that God uses so that he could give out the righteousness of God and still stay righteous. It's the way he could say, declare us to be justified and still be just. That's, what, how, that's how what's happening in 24 and 25. Here's the verses again. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This is to show God's righteousness so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's the means to get to the end of this dilemma of being able to make us able to have a relationship without compromising the character of justice. Propitiation is an old English term. It means to appease the wrath, usually of, you know, some kind of deity, to, to satisfy or turn away the anger. Used, we all kind of have images of this pagan, right, serving under a deity that's melodramatic, right, <laughs> moody, like, uh, unpredictable. And so, you know, to keep the lightning from hitting them or whatever, the storms from coming, whatever, the, the harvest the next season, they, they placate. They want to be on the good side of, this, of, their, of their God. And so what do they do to stay on the good side of God? They, they bring him gifts, right? They serve at the temple. They, they pray and talk to him and ask for, you know, blessings upon their lives. And, and they, if they find them themselves at the angry side of God, and then, my goodness, let's do whatever it takes, you know, to calm him down. And it's pretty easy to see that when we're watching some movie or reading some history about pagan rituals. But friends, I'll bet, I'll bet everyone in this room, I think we all have these pagan values towards not deity but to God himself. 
I think it's our default that we have. We have this need for propitiation, and we're not throwing virgins in volcanoes anymore, but there's, in our hearts, we're thinking, you know, if, I, if I'll be really good, then, then God will like me. You know, he'll like me better. And, and some, some of us, this, the primary reason for obedience is so that, that we won't be rejected by God. Some people that are really disciplined, you know, and, and can really get things in order, they go so far as to feel they, uh, they have an obligation by God, you know, that he's, he's obliged to pay them back. Now, look, I'm a good person. I'm, I, I serve at the church. I'm generous with my time and resources. I've done all the little things you're supposed to do to raise your children well. So, God, now it's on you. You make sure we're all safe. Everything works. I'm, I've done my part. And there's this, and when some things don't work, you can see them snap. Some people even leave, you know, the church in Christ because it didn't work according to plan because they were worshiping a pagan God, Right? The definition of propitiation in the Bible is completely different than pagan. Why? Why propitiation is required in other, you know, pagan things is because you never know the mood of the God. You never know when you'll be safe. And in the Bible, why? The holiness and the justice of God demands it. It is required by the nature of what justice means. Uh, in the context of, of who carries out the, the plan of propitiation. In, in pagan rituals, uh, the, the humans are involved in this, and they're hoping they can do whatever they can. Right? In the Christian version of propitiation in this word, it is God himself who has provided his only begotten son to make sure this propitiation is done and taken care of. If, if, if the third thing is the kind of sacrifices that are required. In pagan rituals, they never really knew. Right? There's no divine revelation about what is required to satisfy the holiness of God. In the Bible, it says, it says the wage of sin is death. The Bible says the blood of bulls and rams cannot appease this kind of holiness. And so in the fullness of time, God sent his only begotten son so as to be a propitiation for the holiness of God. Look what John Stott says. It's a great summary of this word. God himself gave himself to save us from himself. God himself gave himself to save us from himself, from his holiness, from his requirement to be justified. Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who had no sin. And that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Look, there it is again, the righteousness of God, not uh, the righteousness from God, but the righteousness of God. So let me just review before we get into our next section here. Righteousness justification is infinitely greater than mere forgiveness. The second thing is that propitiation is the means that God satisfied his own requirements of holiness. He gave himself to save us from himself. Now, let's look at the passage with that kind of insight, and I'll make one last point here. Uh, and we are justified, we are made righteous by his grace uh, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How does that happen? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood 
to receive, to be received by faith. This was to show, other translations say, to demonstrate, other translations say, to prove. To show, to prove, to demonstrate God's righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All of this was to show, demonstrate, to prove publicly. This is no mere change in status, receiving the righteousness of God. This is the change in the very nature and the essence of our souls from the point of view of of God and the spiritual world. This is a radical alteration of going from bent to righteous, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of God. He had to show publicly to all creation that God could do this, that He could give His righteousness to make us just and still be just in doing that. He found, in Lewis's language, a deeper magic, a deeper magic, so that Aslan could take the place of, of the traitor. And so on that Good Friday, on that day-long beating of the Christ, when all that was happening, angels, demons, all of creation, all of eternity sat and watched the nails, the death, and it was asked, anyone? Anyone have a problem with this? Is this not justice? Does this pay for all crimes against God? No one? Yeah, that's what justice looks like. And Jesus says, it is finished. To prove, to display, to show that God is both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Do you want to have a a faith that, like, changes all of your life? You want to have a faith in Christianity that is, that is progressively stronger and, and with each season of life becomes deeper? You spend all of your time and energy focusing on what this paragraph means. That should tie you up for a thousand years. That should be adequate. Just as life goes on, massaging, understanding the, the depth of this. What happens for most church attenders, the reason they don't change, the reason they, they start following Christ and they say it kind of gets boring and they, they say, I haven't really changed. Or they, or they go, you know what? That was a season, man. That was great. Those were good times. I had this thing that happened to me and then nothing seems to happen, right? They talk about 10 years ago. Here's why. Because if you don't understand that righteousness is infinitely greater than just forgiveness and you're just living in forgiveness, it can't grow you for a thousand years, just forgiveness. It doesn't have the power to do that. There's not enough water in that stream. But if you are a person that is able to grasp, progressively grasp, as you understand what this means each time, right? It's more and more, as we'll talk about that next week, but you progressively able to grasp that, that God sent his only begotten son, to appease the wrath of God's holiness as a propitiation of blood. His death did that. All that to show the created world, the spiritual world, that God was both just and the justifier so that he could give us by grace his own righteousness. If you hold on to that, you will grow in wonder, in depth, and stability forever.
I, I wouldn't doubt if that's what we do all in heaven. And why is that? Listen, why? Because righteousness is the certificate that gains us access to a relationship with God, not just heaven. It's not just forgiveness. It, is, it, it gives us access to a relationship with God, back and forth, one that deepens with, with seasons. Right? I've, I've seen this happen over and over again in, in our church and uh, in churches like this where people will come in, they'll be involved for a while, and then they leave. And sometimes they show up again, and they're involved for a while, and then they leave. And here's why. Because they, they come in, they, they feel a sense of guilt. Sometimes even as a child, they'll come in, and then the, they, they, they learn how to pray. Right? They, and then they say, man, I want to live, live for God. I want to live for God. And so they do. I mean, they're grateful for their forgiveness. And then, you know what, it just kind of wears off, and they're plateaus, and so they don't come back, or they, don't, or they leave. And then they come back when they maybe feel like there's a greater need for forgiveness, or life stresses them out, and then they come and they, and they feel the forgiveness, and then they learn how to pray better, and then they go, I'm going to live for God. And then it stalls out again. It just keeps cycling. And here's the problem. Here's how to have this breakthrough, okay? The fixation is on sin, and this fixation is on forgiveness. And that's why they stall, or that's why they cycle. That's why they don't grow. This gift of righteous, the righteousness of God is infinitely more valuable and beyond our, able, our ability to comprehend. And so we can just keep plowing deeper and deeper because this forgiveness, this rather, I'm sorry, this righteousness of God that is infinitely more, it has the potential to change your very soul because it, it does that because it alters the foundational principle of which your soul is defined by. The righteousness of God has the potential of changing the definition of your soul. It's, it's how you evaluate your, like, the self. It's, it's not about sin. It's about identity. Watch, look at the logical consequences of, of the propitiation effect on a person's life. And, and I, I, want to see, I want you to see how this could change your soul and continually change it. Verse 24, this is review. Okay, we were justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith that this was to show that God, God's righteousness, this was to show God's righteousness so that he might be both just and the justifier of the ones who put faith in Jesus. Here it comes. Then... What becomes of boasting? It is excluded. The vibrant, progressive faith is one that alters its boasting. What is, where is boasting? It is excluded. Because you can't boast about anything if on your resume it says the righteousness of God as a gift. People stall out because they're so fixated on the sin and the forgiveness. Watch this. Okay, okay. This is a caricature of a Pharisee. They have a really bad press agent. It's really not this way historically, but I'll just do this because it's the way we think they are. Okay? They're self-righteous, legalistic, judgmental, you know, pretty sulking probably most of the time, just keeping score in the minus side of the ledger, right? 
when they sin, do you think it hurts? Oh, it hurts. Do they repent? Yes, they do. Do they confess their sin? Yes, they do. And then what happens? They go back to being a Pharisee. They're going to try to still live for God, but they never change ultimately because the focus of their faith is on sin and the forgiveness of sin. All the while, there's this infinitely greater thing, the gift of the righteousness of God that was shown to be propitiated by God's own son so that everyone would know that he could be just and the justifier, righteous and the one who gives out righteousness. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. You submit your resume. You you have your resume and all this list of things that make you special, all these things that um, make you you, all these things that you could say are my righteousness. And then you add the gift of God, uh, the gift from God, his righteousness on there. Everything else just like etch a sketch. It just gets erased, right? It's gone. Who cares about that stuff anymore? It doesn't matter. And, and that's, how, that's how relationships grow in, in, in our relationship with God because it, it, it enters us into that way past forgiveness. It goes into the way we're being defined. It's what's the most valuable thing about us. Let me give, here's, let me give you three examples of people that are, uh, have attended our church and and they were able to grasp the difference between forgiveness and the righteousness of God being their identity. There was a man in 2008 that lost most of his fortune in, in the recession that we had. And he was a man who had great wealth, and he was very generous with that. All things were good. It was what he was known for. And when he lost all of that, he said, he said you know, it was almost, he said it, was, it would have been, it was difficult but it caused my faith to grow deeper because I didn't realize how much of me was being defined by my income and being generous. I, it just kind of slipped in. And the difference, the difference is it would have devastated me before, but my boast was in the righteousness I received as a gift, the righteousness of God. And because of that, this other definition of me that two years earlier would have been the sole definition had become irrelevant. Sometimes you and I, just going through life, we don't understand what is our justification, what is our righteousness until it's removed. And when it's lost, we go, wow, I was putting way too much weight on that. It mattered entirely too much for me now that it's gone. I, I was putting that at the top of this resume, not the gift of God's righteousness. There's a a lady in our church that is stunning, very attractive, and she's been that way her entire life. And I would imagine, wouldn't know, but if you're attractive all your life, people tell you that all your life. And so, of course, it became her identity. It was the thing that people kept noticing. And then she had some cancers on her face, and so they had to be removed, and she lost, she lost her look. That's all there is to it. And she said, it was a good thing because then I, I just, I didn't have to be enslaved to that. All that matters is that I have this gift of God's righteousness. That's what defines me. That's what I'm spending my life learning more about because I have a relationship with God. And now I'm free. 
I don't even have to compete anymore. Who was competing? Who cared? She did, but not anymore. Let me give you a negative example that maybe will help understand this. We've had more than a few families here uh, when they have little kids growing up and uh, they're usually very disciplined, they would tell you uh, that they know how to raise children. They would tell you they know how to raise your children. They would say, look how compliant our children are. Look how many Bible verses they know, those sorts of things. <clears throat> well, the little ducks grew up and they turned out to be geese, you know, and they were, uh, and there's been, again, more than a few of these families where the, when the children grew up and were able to express their free moral agency, some of them left the church, some of them left Jesus. And since their justification, these couples, their, their parenting was what they exalted. That's what was on their resume. That's what mattered. They were good parents. You should be like them. Because it didn't turn out, they had shame, and they quit coming to church because of the shame involved in not being good parents. Now, if they would translate, not, not focus on just the forgiveness of God that they received, if they would focus on the infinitely greater gift of the righteousness of God they would receive, they would, they would understand that the honor in that gift would, is so overshadowing the shame that they shouldn't have attached, they shouldn't have attached pride to that anyway. But the shame would be overshadowed by the honor of what they'd received, and they wouldn't care what other people thought about them. They could come back and see their friends again, and they could pray together and mourn together what's going on in their children's lives. The point is this. When you look at Jesus Christ, you have to look at him in something more than just forgiveness. You need to look at him as your crown, as your boast. Where then is boasting? There's no boasting except this, that he died for me and gave me his righteousness. Because that is to define you. And here's the, here's the most important part about this. If that gift of God's righteousness through Jesus' propitiation, if, if that's what's defining you, you can't lose that. It can't be taken away. It's not fragile or frail. You're anchored into bedrock. So some of you, maybe this whole idea of what salvation means might be brand new to you, and I would ask that you would consider switching from maybe a form of pagan worship, hoping that he would, God would like you, to this other, this other view, that it's entirely by faith in the promise that that death and resurrection was to show that God could and does give the gift of his righteousness to us. It's only by faith. You want to truly live the Christian life? This is a change of subject here. If you're already there and you want to learn how to live a vibrant Christian life that goes on for as long as you live and into eternity, here's the key. What do we say the definition of righteousness was? It was the ability, it was, this, it was this asset that you had on your resume that gained you access to not just heaven, didn't open the door just to heaven, but to what? A relation, thank you so much, a relationship with God. That's the key phrase here today. It's a relationship with God, and the relationship grows like other relationships. It dies like other relationships. If you neglect a relationship, it, it, it doesn't last. If you nurture and are, like, spellbound by the, you know, the continuing awareness and revelation of who this person is that you choose to love, it, that relationship thrives. 
And so, if, again, if, if, if all you see in Jesus is this forgiveness, then that's that. If you see that this righteousness of God that is given to us as a gift because of the way God did it through this propitiation of Jesus' death on the cross so that he could be just and the justifier so all of creation could see this, friends, you're never going to wear down from enjoying that because as life goes on through our successes or our failures, we start realizing, wait a minute, <laughs> Something else got on my resume. And when that happens, you kind of, you double clutch. Again, you could win the lottery or lose a fortune, but depending upon how much it alters you, you could say, how'd that get there? Where then is boasting? It is excluded. And you can come to a place where that's not your beauty. That's not your health. It's not your youth. That's not your talent. Those things can be lost. This is what defines you. This is what altered the essence of your soul. This gift of the righteousness of God from the, built upon the propitiation of Jesus Christ so that everyone in all creation, everything would know that God had a deeper magic. He could be just and the one who justifies why do we meet on Sunday, week after week? We come here to worship God because that's who he is and that's what he's done. And so we do that. Can't miss that. We meet on Sundays so we can gather together and try to learn, apply, go into the depths of the unfathomable of this one paragraph. That's why we meet. That's why we talk. That's what we share back and forth. What does this paragraph mean now? that we would have this righteousness of God so that we have the doors to the soul of God opened up to us so that he could call us in and say, hey, could we have a relationship with you? That's the theme. That's the theme of our whole fall. If I had to do our fall, if I had to name our fall, I would say it's a relationship, stupid. <clears throat> but the marketing team said that would be a bad idea. So I'm saving that for the prison ministry version of this. We're going to call it with. We're going to call it with. And you know what? There's, there's a book we're going to try to all read together through. All our adult communities are going through a complimentary set of teaching on that. We'll have small groups to that. Their books are on sale in the lobby. Look at the title of the book. It's with. It's, that's the point. He's saying it's, it's with God. And we bring in all these alternate ways of dealing with God as though we are pagans worshiping some kind of weird deity where we're trying to manipulate him. We're fearful of him, living underneath him. We want stuff from him. And it's, it's never like, come on. God says, let's sit down and enjoy each other. I know you. And you can spend an eternity getting to know me. Let's go. Let's start today. So, can I encourage you again to make church attendance a regular thing, especially the next seven weeks or so? Can I encourage you to join a group so that you could discuss it? If you're a volunteer at Grace Covenant Church, we don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. So we're trying to connect the volunteers that are working both hours to, to connect. And so Chris Lindberger's doing that. I think he's out there at the table to help you. Uh, there's a bookmark you can sign up to meet with other people to talk about the series. If you're kind of like just, I mean, you drive in from whatever and, and this is the best time to do it, why don't you come to the 915 service? We'll have a discussion group time, a, a life group, a bunch of them over there in the auditorium. Go out that door, grab a coffee and a donut on the way, and there'll be tables waiting for you starting on the 26th.
We want everybody to do this. Let's stop and ask a simple question. Is your life and your faith and your relationship with God a relationship with God? I hope you're overflowing with gratitude because of forgiveness. But have you heard? There's infinitely more than that. It gives us permission and access to the heart, soul, and the mind of God. And our lives here and later are to enjoy that. I want you to join me in a prayer that would suggest that this day is the day it changes. He's not my boss. He's not an image of my father. He's, he, he's not moody. He's God Almighty. And I want to have a loving relationship with that Yahweh. Join me. Lord Jesus, I, we, uh, I just feel, you know, there's, there's part of me, I wonder if we're just, you're a, a man asking a woman to be engaged and we just, and we keep answering, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And we, and we just want to turn it into duty so that you'll like us or so you'll be obliged to us, whatever game we're playing, and the whole time you keep proposing, you keep asking, would, would you like to just be in a relationship? So, Lord, I just repent of having a value of you being anything but desiring to enjoy a fellowship. Lord, I, I want us to be a church where people know God. They know you. They can hear your voice. As the years progress, their ears are tuned to that frequency that your spirit speaks to us because we know you. We enjoy you for eternity. Lord, help us be a church like that, starting with my life. In Jesus' name, amen.